murderer has been released in the neighborhood. How old do you feel? And this time we weren't releasing one, we were releasing 40,000. consider a million people got destroyed at the hands of their neighbors. When you get one million people dead, it becomes impossible to exert justice. The president of Rwanda passed a decision to release the perpetrators who had confessed their role in genocide. So far, 50,000 have been released. Why on earth should a survivor of the genocide in Rwanda forgive somebody who murdered Either their mother or husband or brother or sister. Somebody has to tell them this painful message of forgiveness. If we let them be consumed by that ongoing bitterness and anger, it's like an acidic content in a metro container. It will eventually eat the container up. When they forgive, they get released. We have rebuilt the roads, we've rebuilt the schools, We've rebuilt the hospitals, but rebuilding the hearts of people remain a big challenge. Are you crazy? Reconciliation? The one who killed your family. How do I reconcile with someone who killed my family? Forgiveness is not human, it's divine. Well, isn't that the question this morning? Could, could you do it? Could you forgive? Considering what Bobby described and what you just saw in that trailer, the reality that you had neighbors that murdered your families, is it possible for you to even consider the idea of forgiving? I remember I told you last week, I said, listen, Matthew 18, this chapter that this tax collector Matthew wrote, this gospel that he wrote, calls us to something that he heard Jesus speak in Matthew chapter 18, and maybe the toughest words and chapter in all the gospel, this Matthew 18. This principle of going to people, of, of working with one another as a community, but then he ends this chapter with maybe the greatest call and maybe the greatest gauge for whether or not we are Christians or not. And that's our, our ability to forgive. This C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. I mean, think we just watched, and we're going to kind of use that as a framework, the rest of this message. That could be considered probably for us this morning, don't you think? Inexcusable. Your family being murdered. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You see, C.S. Lewis knew something that Jesus was teaching in Matthew 18, and that is, if you are a Christ follower, then Matthew 18 isn't necessarily simply something you try to do. 
it's something that comes through your life as a Christian. It becomes a great gauge and a measure about how surrendered you are because only until you know the inexcusable debt that you have tallied up do you recognize that God wants you to then pour that to other people. This, this whole morning, we're going to try to frame uh, in midst of this last part of Matthew chapter 18, this idea, but we have some things that get in our way, don't we? And remember, if we were here last week, and if you weren't, I would recommend that you go look back at that on the, on the website and, and watch it, because we went from Matthew chapter 18, the first whole section. And remember we said that Jesus' whole discourse for most of that chapter is going to come from two questions, and we, answered, we looked at one of them, and this was what it was. The disciples are asking the question that we still ask today. Jesus, who is the most righteous? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Out of us in this room, who's the most spiritual? And who's the worst? We, we seem to think that maybe that's not in us today. But as we recognize that Jesus will call us to be like children and have that innocent sense of following, he'll talk to us about being humble and changed heart. See, many people know God from up here. Scripture says that there are many that know about me, but it hasn't hit their souls. It hasn't hit their heart. You know, you could be married if you go through the right, uh, fill out the right documents and do all the legal responsibilities you need to do, but spouses know if they have one another's hearts. Forgiveness is going to answer that. And so Jesus is going to answer this question that the disciples still uh, affected by culture, still struggling to find their own identity. Having followed Jesus, they still find themselves measuring sin and righteousness. I talked to a fellow this last week, and, and we were, he, has, he hasn't been to church in maybe years and years and years. And just says, I have a problem with religion. And I said, I do too, which stops him. What? I do too. I said, I said before you go any further, let me, let me ask you if this is true. You're tired of the guilt and control that religion pushes on people. How did you know? I said, because in us, all of us, is trying to measure things. We always try to measure things. And so we try to measure even our own spirituality. And so if we were at a continuum, the disciples recognized that if we were to put the worst of sins, a bomber, a terrorist, a murderer, a rapist, an adulterer, whatever, those, whatever you put as the far extreme, I don't know what that is for you. We, we have this measuring of the worst of worst. We can't even deal with those things. And then we are to scale it of, of more what we call, it gets into even a respectable sins. Well, that's okay. It's just a little thing. It's just a little white lie, right? And we start to measure. You probably find yourself doing it on the news. As you read the paper. As you look at what goes on in our culture. As you find out about what other people are doing in your neighborhood. There is a ranking system built in our sinful selves, and that is trying to measure up. And that's what religion does, and religion never saved anyone. It still hasn't and never will. Us having the idea that we can measure up and do right enough for God is completely anti-biblical. I mean, it doesn't ever show up in Scripture that you can be good enough to earn God's favor. 
Jesus is answering this question. And so he gives us, as we talked about last week, this idea that you can't measure up. Be like a child. Not childish, but have childlike humility. Have childlike care. Have, have childlike correction for one another. Have all this. And remember what he said? It, he, he went toward the end of that section and said, go to a brother if you have a problem with him. Don't go to four others. Don't start a prayer meeting around about somebody else. That's not right. You go straight to them. And if they don't listen, bring two other brothers. And it's not so that you beat them up. It's because you are looking for them to walk the walk. And then what happens if they don't bring some elders, if they don't announce it to church? It's still interesting, isn't it? But then remember what he says. He says, and if they still don't, then consider them what? A pagan or a sinner? And then I love that the author, the inspired author Matthew, writes, treat them like a, a sinner or a pagan or a what? A tax collector. Why is that such a big deal? Because it's off the chart. It doesn't even get measured back then. If you're a tax collector, you don't even get to, you're just off, you're off, you're horrible. Because you were a Jew that was working for the Romans, getting taxes from people, and you could charge whatever you wanted to, and most of them were very greedy. You see, today, I think the question for us is, can you forgive? And maybe the second question is, why or why not? What measuring tape did you put in your life to saying this has gone too far? Now Jesus is going to go after this, and he does it because Peter, we love Peter, right? Peter is the one that asks the question that nobody wants to ask, but they're kind of hoping somebody does, and Peter is just kind of bullheaded enough to just ask it, and so they're good, good on you, Peter. You're alone on this one. And after all this, Peter asks this question in Matthew 18. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Fair question. Like, what's the limit? Is there a limit? And so Peter feels like he's going to answer his own question. And just to kind of give Jesus a little bit of measure of his intellect and, and his spirituality, says, you know, up to seven times, right? Something like that. Now, what's, what's interesting about this, that Peter feels really good about this answer, is because in Jewish law, and Jewish court, you were only required to forgive someone three times. Think about that. Think about that in our world today. Three times, and then you're done. You know? Kids, three times, and then you're done. So what Peter does is he doubles it. He says, well, I'll double it, and then I'll show him. I'm going to add one. That'll be good. I'm sure this will be close to the right answer. Jesus answers and says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some of the other gospel writers call it 70 times seven. Why is this important? Jesus sets up a precedent. It's not, okay, do it 49 times. It is an infinite number. In other words, Jesus is going to now give them a picture of the full outpouring of what forgiveness looks like. It never stops. In other words, once you become a Christ follower, there is a flow of forgiveness that comes from your life that you're not regulating, that you're not measuring. That's what he's going to talk about. That's how Peter starts this, this kind of unfolding in dialogue. And this morning, I think it's important that we recognize that we're all in the same boat this morning. I stand up here saying to you that this chapter and this issue is very difficult. 
Forgiveness comes, it sources itself from a couple Hebrew and Greek words, uh, meaning really to let go or to move away from, to carry the load, to remove a debt. It comes out of really this concept that the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 17 is Israel celebrates even today this date called Yom Kippur. And, and it basically is a day after Passover, so many months after Passover, that uh, it's a kind of a repent and, and a, a repented and a prayerful mourning day. Why? They mourn the sins of their nation. And back in the Old Testament, they were to sacrifice a goat and they were to take another goat and place all the sins on this one goat and then chase it into the desert to be ran away. Why? Because forgiveness looks like that in God's eyes. Run it away to never be seen again. In other words, this morning, we're talking about forgiveness that's not just, I'll let you off the hook this one time. Jesus is going to answer. It's an infinite outpouring, non-regulated by you. It just comes out of you. And there is no measuring. And it never comes back. So, this morning, we're going to tackle this, but there are other passages about forgiveness. And the Bible's full of passages that, quite frankly, are tough to talk about. And I want to just address a couple of those before we get into this, because I want to confess this morning, I'm still kind of working around some of these concepts, because they're, they're, they're quite uh, weighty. They're heavy. Jesus' prayer, remember he says, pray this way, the Lord's prayer, and he says, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. You ever thought about that prayer? Anybody prayed that prayer before? Maybe just out of tradition, right? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven other people. Well, I don't know, if, do we want that this morning? Do we want that kind of forgiveness that we have offered to other people? He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it says, Jesus is going to say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. My first question was, well, what happens if you don't? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This passage is tough. So we're left with one of two options. You mean if I don't forgive people and I know Christ, am I no longer a Christian? Am I kicked out of the kingdom? We, some of our culture talks about unforgivable sins. And so there are two interpretations uh, around this concept that I'll give you. One more popular. One is that you can never lose your surrender to Christ and your salvation. If it came from your heart, that's there. There are many theologians and writers that will say, though, that your prayers are blocked. You have thrown yourself into a jail of bitterness. And if you can't forgive people, your relationship with God stops. That's heavy. That's really heavy this morning. The other interpretation is that you're not a believer at all. That if you start to put measurement and limits to your forgiveness, then obviously you have not experienced the forgiveness God gave you. Therefore, you are not really a Christian, just like we saw. If they don't listen to you, treat them as a tax collector or a pagan. So similar, but very interesting, either are not good options. Colossians 3, Paul says this, bear with each other. Uh, and forgive one another if any of you has grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Clear instruction. God's forgiven you. 
That's your rule. If God didn't forgive you for something, well, then maybe you have an option and you have an out. Luke 7, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her as great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This is a great passage. Maybe it's a great homework this week. Read Luke chapter 7. Jesus is in a home. A woman comes in that's called a sinner, a woman of, of, of the town. We don't know what, what her job was or what she did. But what we get the idea is that she is viewed as a sinful woman. We can only speculate. She brings perfume and puts it on Jesus' feet. Some of the disciples are disgusted with that. And he begins to tell a story. He tells the story about, uh, in verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. The other had 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which one of them will love him more? Well, the obvious answer was what? The one that had the greater debt. Jesus gives this instruction that when we understand the gravity of our debt, it allows us to forgive. There's something about that that empowers us to forgive. We'll come back to that. Luke chapter 6, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Once again, this, this kind of statement about what you have to do in order to be forgiven. Either way this morning, I want to try to address the Matthew 18 passage, but I also want to leverage it in the midst of some of these Rwanda stories because wouldn't we agree this morning, friends, that these are extreme stories. I, I know a couple of people who have lost family members through um, possible murder or murder, but I, uh, really the, the, the genocide experience is outside of our context for most of us. Uh, some of that reality is way outside. So for us this morning, it's a great picture because maybe it will change our perspective about the other end of things that we hold on to. We measure, don't we? So Jesus is going to tell a story to answer this question. He says, you have to always forgive. He says in verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with all his servants. It wasn't uncommon for kings to give money out as kind of a loan, a business loan, and saying, I want to see what you can do with this. As he began the settlement, uh, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Let's just stop for a moment. Interesting note, that something I learned this week, is that this uh, number looks a little bit different than some of the other Gospels, but they're ba basically the same Greek word. It's the word where we get myriad. There is no other word to go beyond this number in the Greek language. It represents infinite, too much money. There isn't, it's, it's like we were to say gazillion dollars. There's no such thing as a gazillion, but we get the picture, right? Gazillion means too much to count and too much for you to consider that you could actually pay it back. So the disciples in this moment would have heard this and said, oh, who, could have, who could ever ring up a tab like that? Who, how could, they would feel it. He owes that much money. And so it's interesting that his master's going to say, let's sell everything so that he could pay back this debt. At this point, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Now let's just think for a moment. 
let's put it in context of millions and millions and millions upon millions of dollars that you owe, and you have the audacity and the actual, uh, you're off your rocker enough to sit back and say to somebody, be patient, I'll pay you back. The disciples would have understood this as an impossibility and a dumb statement by this person. It was ridiculous. There's no way you can pay it back. You, for you to even say that, it says that you're either crazy, you're, you're off your rock, or you have no perspective about what you owe. So the servant's master took pity on him, though, it says, and canceled the debt and let him go. This would have shocked the disciples, this story. This would have been unheard of. of you're kidding me. This, this king let him off of a gazillion dollars. He let him off of a debt that was irrepayable. He took nothing from him and let him go. He even punished him. See the stories being set up, how Jesus typically does. Now this morning I want to give you three perspectives that this story, this parable talks about us. As we read the Bible, as we read the gospel, especially and especially Jesus' parables, they have place for us in our life today. So even as pastor, this passage speaks to me, and it speaks to us this morning in three different ways. The first one this morning is, the first part of this parable tells your story, my story. It tells our story. It tells our story. The scriptures are clear that our debt because of sin had to be paid for. It was unpayable. The Bible's clear in the story that God kind of tolerates the sin, the sin of man, for so long throughout the Old Testament, setting up some sort of temporary means to, to pay for the sinful heart of, of people. And yet, knowing full well, eventually, a full price, a full pardon had to be paid. It had to be paid for. And how does God do that? Through his son, Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, this is my blood. This is Jesus talking later in this book. He's going to say, this is the blood of my covenant that's poured out for you, the forgiveness of sin. He's going to talk about communion. He's going to talk about the table. He's going to say, Jesus is going to say, I relieved your debt. You see, this morning, what we have to do is place ourselves in that servant's place and recognize that we had and we had an unpayable debt. Unpayable. No measure of goodness, of giving, of church attendance, of Bible reading would ever make it, would ever pay it back. It could not blot out the evil that we have in our lives. That's our story. So Jesus wants now these disciples to recognize the weight of their story, the weight of who they are. Two crazy pictures this morning, and we're going to see a bunch of them, but these pictures are so powerful because they say such, uh, so much about what was going on there in Rwanda, and these are a part of Jeremy Cowart's kind of photo uh, healing program. It's called Portraits of Healing, and it's these portraits of people uh, that have forgiven one another. Now, I want you to look at this picture because I want to tell you about Bernard and and, and Ernestine, and, and so it's basically, uh, they were married after the 1994 gen genocide. Ernestine's family members were all murdered by the Hutu tribe. 
Bernard is Hutu. Bernard is Hutu, and now they join together and lock arms and model something. And I love the statement, their message is on that leaf is we are all Rwandan. In other words, we have a common place. Our story is the same. It's both recognizing there is no lesser or greater. There's no measuring in this. Here's another one. This one's powerful. This is Gaspert and Innocent. Innocent is the one on the left and Gaspert's the one on the right. The interesting about this is that Innocent on the left had actually murdered Gaspert's brother. And they are standing in the very place that the murder happened. Come on. In the measure of sin, and you think about if this were to happen to you, doesn't this, this rank as even, we can't measure this? This is like unforgivable. There, there's got to be a limit, Troy. Jesus, there's got to be a limit. Y- yeah, 70 times 7, but it has to only qualify for sins on this end of the scale. It can't be those. They reconcile. Their, their statement, love is a weapon to destroy evil. You know what these two portraits of healing give us that Jeremy Cowart captures? Captures that these, these people know their story. They all recognize that they're no better than the murderers that murdered their families. Jesus continues on in this text, though. He says, now in Matthew, Matthew 18, 28, he says, But when the servant went out, this servant had just been forgiven an unpayable amount, says he went out and he found one of his fellow servants, he had servants, who owed him a hundred silver coins. Stop for a moment. You're probably asking me, Troy, how much is that worth? That's about three months' worth of working. That's it. From someone who, who had the gazillion amount debt, unpayable, it's not even realistic in a normal lifetime to even think that you could come close to paying it back, to someone that could pay it back in three months. Owed him 100 silver coins. He grabs him and begins to choke him. Something's not right here, is there? Don't you look at this person and what do you immediately feel? Whoa! Do you, do you have like a memory problem? What really happened in that transaction where you were relieved debt and not sold into slavery or even killed? What happened? He's choking this person. He says, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged. Listen to the statement, the very statement that he said to the man, the king. Be patient with me. I will pay it back. A realistic possible statement. Actually, very feasible. But he refuses. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could not pay the debt, until he could pay the debt. When other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, like we probably are this morning, like the disciples, as they're hearing this story, are outraged. How could someone who received such great forgiveness go and not forgive someone else of such a small infraction? So they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
Again, Jesus tells these stories for purpose, and so not only that we understand it's our story, but he's also telling it so that we understand our sin. Because can't we agree this morning, this is where it hits the road for us. It's easy to talk about forgiveness until you're hurt. Until that employer does something, that neighbor does something, that family member does something. And friends, I'm not saying they're right, and I'm not saying they don't hurt, and emotionally they're damaging. And some of you have been harmed by people in horrible ways. I'm not at all this morning minimizing the hurt and pain and the, the effects of evil and sin in our world. What I am saying is in the kingdom, there are no measuring tapes. There are no scales of evil. You're either evil or you have been covered by the blood of Christ. Therefore, religion is out. Religion doesn't work. Religion never saves. You can't measure up. And so this gives us a perspective about our own struggle and sin and how many of us have been offended and hold on to something so small. You know, they say in broken marriages today, very few um, are around infidelity or morality. Most around really stupid, petty things. Because don't you recognize that once the root of bitterness gets into a relationship, you hold on and you hold on and you, you start to find yourself separating farther and farther away. In other words, it's this quote, you find yourself in a prison cell. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. We think that holding on to bitterness and not forgiving somebody is so freeing. I'll show them, right? And you've just literally locked yourself up. And as we read in the verses prior, you stopped your relationship with God. You wonder why your prayers aren't being answered because God says, until you can let that flow come through your life, until you've recognized how much I've forgiven, So many people live in prisons today. And the church, I've said this and we laugh at it, but I'm going to confess it again. Church is easy, it's people that are difficult. And that's us, right? And what's so difficult is we're the ones that are measuring and holding on. The bride of Christ, God's design is beautiful. And the beautiful part of it is when we allow God to work through us, but we can hold on to so many things, can't we? And when that root of bitterness begins to be held on to, no matter how justified you might think, you're no different than that landowner choking for a meager 100 silver coins. I'll show you. Ernest and Xavier. Xavier on the right, he survived this genocide by hiding in houses in forests to evade his killers. His killer, or the person Ernest, to the other side, to the left, he was a part of a group that murdered uh, eight of Xavier's family members. Afterwards, he admitted his guilt. Local authorities, he spent 13 years in prison. They obviously, as Bobby had talked about, released him. But they're pictured outside of the house where all this violence occurred, and their families are joined together. Come on. That, that. Some, we don't have the ability to forgive this way, friends. I don't. If I'm placing myself right there in, in, in their shoes, can I let go 
if all my family's murdered by my neighbor? Can I stand in front of the spot? Ernest and Xavier, their sign says we have restored our humanity. You know what they recognized? Again, their sin, their brokenness. Let's do this right. Uh, Chantel and John. Chantel is on the left, and she never thought she'd be able to forgive John. Because John there at 63 apparently was a friend, but beat her father to death during the genocide. Shared past, shared future. I know these are pictures of a far-off land in Africa and somewhere, you know, and we look at them and think, Noel, it's something different there. No, friends, I want you to think this morning about you. Just my hunch is there, there wasn't genocide that happened in Green Bay. There, there wasn't stuff like this that was going on. And even if it was, it gives us a picture of, no, there's a story that we need to kind of find ourselves slipping in and realizing the debt that's been paid for us and forgiven and recognize our own sin. Well, Jesus finishes this story and says in Matthew 18.32, then the master calls the servant, the king, calls this, this ungrateful, unmerciful servant. Says, you wicked servant. Listen to that. Now the disciples have to be shocked First, by this first picture of this amazing debt forgiven. Second, by the audacity of this servant that was forgiven to go after this one. Had to be shocked. And then the master says, you are wicked. He says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger... He handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. These are Jesus' words to the disciples. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I struggle with this all week. This, this last part of this is a struggle, isn't it? It's implying this idea that if I don't forgive people, I'm going to be tortured by God. I'm going to be put into a cell. And so I had to research some other scholars and kind of understand this. And again, two possible interpretations. One, that you're not a believer. That your separation is basically separation from God. And it goes back to how kind of Jesus modeled in the, in the earlier text you're a pagan or a tax collector, you don't know God. You must have never experienced the full release of the debt. You never, you never really embraced your sin and knew the debt that he paid for you. Because if you did, you'd be able to forgive. That's one interpretation. Interesting one, isn't it? That there's something that goes on when we have had that happen to us. It's why Jesus says, that when two people are released debt, which one is more grateful, the one that had greater debt? It's when I hear some of the stories of some of you that have surrendered your life to Christ and you came out of such a dark place. In God's economy, no different, but in our cultures, it's like you came from horrible places and you understand the debt. 
I think it's one of the, the deceiving and evil parts of religion is it fools us to believe that we're not that sinful, that we think we've plugged in time and, and been confirmed and punched the card and done all the things. And isn't God happy with the little bit I did when I was younger? And friends, nowhere does God say that's what I want. It fools us to thinking we're somewhat righteous. And it says, is there any righteous? No, not one. The other interpretation is this, and this is what I said earlier, and I'm finding very intriguing and probably more likely. There are passages that say that one of the greater sins, not unforgivable, but is to the sin of unforgiveness. And when you do not model the love of the Father this way, it breaks relationship. You are put in a tormenting place. I'll talk to Christians who are holding on to bitterness and are wondering where God is. And then I think about this passage. Hmm. I wonder if that has been blocked. And until they let go. See, God in this story, as he, he works through his son, and Jesus tells this parable, he wants us to know our story. He wants us to know our sin. But last, he wants to know that we have an opportunity to salute. In the military, I, one of the things I loved about military is I, I had, did not have a father figure that, that showed me the affection and the, the encouragement that I needed as a young man. And so military structure for me was very motivating. Why? Because it, I can do things, right, and earn the approval of, of commanders. It was really, I loved it. Now, God had to break that from me, I think, in my spiritual journey, definitely had to, because there isn't that measuring system. But it, as growing up as a young man, this was really powerful me stepping into the Marine Corps. And I remember one of the things I loved in, in the passages that Paul talks about, about pleasing your commander. In the military, one of the ways that you show honor, one of the greatest ways that you show respect that you show that I'm surrendered to you and I give you all the respect that you're due is by a salute. And I remember just standing for hours in boot camp. You know, they're tweaking every little like finger and no this way because there was this pride that if you could salute, it said, all for you. I honor you. I surrender to you. It is because of you. I am not my own. It's all for you and friends. Forgiveness, quite possibly, is the most beautiful salute you can give the Father. It is the most powerful show of grace and love for a God that forgave the inexcusable in you and I. It's a salute, saying, all for you. No matter what has been done to you, no matter if your families have been butchered from genocide, no matter if they've slandered you, stole money from you, harmed you, sexually harmed you, whatever it is, and I'm not saying get over it. I'm saying humanly it is so difficult, but friends, we don't have the capacity to get over it. We need Christ in us to give this kind of love. So it brings me to this, these last stories. They're very powerful. If I could get to them. This one's 
uh, Rudovico on the right. It's 59. He fled his home uh, in 1994 after receiving a death threat, only to return, friends, listen to this, to find that his wife and his three children have been butchered and murdered. It was his neighbor right there next to him, Francis. He was his neighbor. I don't have that level of forgiveness. I don't have that in me. But Christ promised that when we surrender our lives to to him and that when we recognize the debt that's been paid for us, he gives us a capacity to let go. This is an amazing picture. And look at their slogan that they write on that piece of tin. Forgiveness is our greatest accomplishment. Can you imagine these two men going to heaven and and them asking, so what did you do for me? And looking at God saying, forgiveness. And I'll bet God will feel so joyful. What an accomplishment. Friends, this morning... This is the last story picture. It's one for all of us this morning because it's God and you. And the story is that you ran up debt. You are evil. I am evil. And God knew that the only way to pay the price, the only way was to offer forgiveness. And he did that through his son dying on the cross. And it's God and you. And when he did that, there was a statement. A message that God writes on the hearts of those who accept that, that relief of that debt, accepting Christ, it says, I forgave you, now forgive everybody else. Now be the river of outpouring of love. You won't have to do messages, you won't have to put up billboards, you won't have to wear t-shirts or cross necklaces. People will know you because you are forgiving and loving people when they are unforgivable. That's radical. That makes Matthew 18 a a chapter you don't want to read often. Because it calls us something to different, doesn't it? It calls us to recognize our story, our sin, and our opportunity to salute a God that loves us so dearly. This morning as we go to the cross, the scripture says, do not take lightly this sacrament of the cup and the bread. It represents the blood shed for you, but it also represents the body broken for you, and it says, Jesus says, I'm paying the price for you. I'm not just doing that for you, I'm doing it for all of mankind, and so that anyone that will receive the debt release, I'm asking you now to go forth and release other people. We don't save people, but we can let go of the roots of bitterness and the things that we hold on to. What are you holding on to this morning? What thing are you holding on to this morning that you, someone's wronged you and you're thinking, oh, you have no idea in my context. You're right, I don't. I just know what Jesus says. You always forgive. I just know what Jesus says. If you don't forgive, then we're going to have a problem. That's not me saying that, that's our Father saying that, that's the Scripture saying that. Can you see why church stuff gets so messy? Because we give ourselves permission to hold on to stuff that 
we think is allowable. We should hold on to that stuff. Mm -mm. This morning you have a piece of paper and around you somewhere and hopefully a marker within reaching distance and I want to encourage you to write on there because this morning as you go to the cross, I'm going to offer up uh, two options for you. One, this morning you may already know what you have to let go of. And I don't know how you want to do it. It's for your creativity. I wrote a statement. I wrote a message. And it says, because he forgave me. And I have some initials of some people that I feel wronged by. That I'm going to ask you to just ball that up. And there's baskets at the cross for you to lay it at the cross before you do communion. Because, friends, the scripture says that we're to lay down however we think we've been wronged. That root of bitterness. To let it go and then enjoy the great cost and price that God paid for you and I. Some of you this morning, though, might not know God. You've been religious. In fact, you feel a suitcase of guilt this morning about what you haven't done. And, and friends, I want to tell you this morning, this morning you can lay all that before Christ. You can lay all that before God, and you may just want to write on your paper, paper I I receive Jesus as the sacrifice for my inexcusable debt, my inexcusable evil. And you just ask God to come and be your Lord and Savior. That's all you need to do. There was no magic prayer. That's what you do. But friends, don't do that as religion, but do that as a sense of understanding the place that you're in, your story, your debt. Father, this morning as we go to the table, we would just ask that you bring, Holy Spirit, would you put a, a heaviness and put a finger on anyone in our lives, Father, in our hearts that we have wronged. And then, Father, that we have held on to bitterness. And God, might we not only give forgiveness, might we ask for it. And God, may this room be a beautiful salute to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.